This is Eric Schultz for the Jersey Arts Podcast. We are listening to the New Jersey Symphony Orchestra's recording of Carmina Burana. It'll be the featured work for the orchestra's opening concerts this fall on October 10th, 11th, and 12th. I'm in Newark today at the offices of the New Jersey Symphony Orchestra with James Rowe. He's just completing his first year as the orchestra's new president and CEO. Jim comes to the job with a unique perspective. For years, he performed with the orchestra as an oboist. He's both a top-notch performer and administrator. Jim, thanks so much for having us here. I do want to ask about your performing career and uh, your move into management, but first let me ask about some upcoming highlights for the New Jersey Symphony Orchestra. For example, this weekend, June 7th, the orchestra is sharing the stage with Cirque de la Symphony. Yes, we're very excited next week to to have a, um, two presentations of Cirque de la Symphony. Uh, this group of acrobats and strongmen and clowns and contortionists mix up with our oboists and violinists and cellists. Uh, some of them will be flying over the head of the stage. None of our musicians will, just the acrobats. And uh, they'll be doing all this amazing, amazing uh, visual work to go along with uh, some wonderful classic pieces from the repertoire. And uh, so we're looking very much forward to these concerts. We're, there are two performances, uh, Saturday, June 7th, at 8 o'clock at the NJ Pack, and then Sunday, June 8th at 3 p.m. at the State Theater in New Brunswick, and it should be an unforgettable experience to see this. Is the orchestra actually on stage? The orchestra is on stage, though they are not swinging from the rafters. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, you have a lot of other things going on this summer and coming up in the fall. Uh, what are some highlights for this summer? Well, we're very excited that um, we're about to begin our, our annual series of parks concerts and, uh, and free performances for the communities of the state of New Jersey. And so I'd like to tell you about those. They're coming up uh, in a few weeks. Uh, the first one will be at a beautiful location in Hoboken, Pier A Park, right by the water with beautiful views of uh, downtown Manhattan. Uh, that will be Thursday, June 19th at 7.30. And again, that's Pier A Park in Hoboken. We'll be giving a free concert indoors at the Bergen Pack in Englewood on Wednesday, June 25th at 7.30. It's a season preview so people can know what's coming up for their Englewood series next season. Uh, we're in Branchbrook Park here in Newark, uh, a favorite place for us to be right here in, in the city where we are the resident orchestra. Friday, June 27th at 7.30 p.m., and then our final uh, Summer Parks concert is in Mercer uh, County Park in Westminster, Sunday, June 29th at 7.30. Uh, now, Jim, the, the New Jersey Symphony Orchestra is somewhat unique among the major orchestras in the United States anywhere in that it's a state orchestra rather than a, in a city. So uh, for someone who doesn't, isn't familiar with the orchestra, what does that mean? That means you travel the state to all sorts of interesting venues, doesn't it? It does. It means that every week that we're in session, every week that we're working, we're actually on tour. We're the resident orchestra of the 
New Jersey Performing Arts Center here in Newark, but we play in five other venues around the state. And we break up into smaller ensembles, and we try to make it to all 21 counties of the state as often as we can. And this statewide mission is, is really in our DNA. It's something that we uh, really believe in, and we, we really love the variety of the audiences that we play for, and, uh, and, and we love the breadth of the mission. And, you know, it's, it's one thing to say that we have a statewide mission, which seems very, very large, but really we measure our success individual by individual that we touch. And so uh, we like to say that you know, every standing ovation is really a mosaic of individuals who have been brought together by, by great music, great talent, and great people. Now, uh, you've been in the job now for a year, correct? Or almost a year. Yes, yeah. I think it's uh, 11 months. So 11 we months. can call okay. it a year if you'd like. <laughs> and uh, you come from this performing arts background. I mean, you are, I happen to know, a fabulous oboist. What... What are you learning? What, have you, what sort of goals are you developing? What is your dream for the symphony? Well, you know, Eric, I, I actually led a dual career almost from before we met. And in full disclosure, we should tell our audience <laughs> that you and I met in our undergraduate school, in music school back in Michigan, um, when you were a cellist and I was an oboist. Right. And, um, but I've always lived in, in these two worlds, one of arts administration and one of performance. And at various times I've emphasized one over the other, uh, but about six years ago, seven years ago, I decided I wanted to make the change to be, uh, to work in arts administration. And the opportunity to do that in this organization that I really know and love from the inside out has just been a chance of a lifetime and a dream come true for me. And I feel as I've moved from the stage to the office, I've just moved from one virtuoso team to another. I mean, this is an incredible staff with great depth and great focus and great passion and uh, very familiar to what was happening on stage. And so uh, for me, this is, this is a transition I was looking for and one that I'm enjoying immensely. Of course, we, we spoke earlier about the statewide mission and really bringing the music that, that we love so much to a wider audience. And that's, that's really the, the goal of the whole organization. And audience development, uh, answering the question of, of what does it mean to be an orchestra in the 21st century is something that uh, is on all of our minds and is a, is a central area of inquiry for us as an organization. And uh, we've been doing some, I think, some really fascinating things along these lines that I would love to tell you about. Uh, this year that we're going to be expanding next year, uh, we've been offering a whole suite of engagement events that happen before a concert starts or after a concert ends or perhaps during intermission. Um, but through these events, we try to frame the art, as it were, frame the concert uh, with activities that that build on uh, a person's par own participation. Uh, perhaps the, the, the biggest story that came out of this year for us was something that we call Orchestra U. That's Y-O-U at the end. <laughs> and uh, back in March, we invited amateur musicians, and you might have been able to, to join us for this, actually, yeah. Eric. We invited <laughs> amateur musicians who were interested to sign up uh, for one particular concert where they would bring their 
instruments, their instrument cases, store them in a room during the concert, and then after the concert, we, uh, we brought the amateur musicians together with uh, about a, a dozen of our own professional players in all the sections, and constituted an orchestra of amateurs and professionals in the lobby of the NJPAC. There were 78 people. We played uh, a, a selection from Bizet's Carmen, and we had over 300 audience members arrayed in all of the boxes around the lobby, and there was so much joy in the room that night. And the orchestra played terrifically well. Uh, one of the amateur violinists was a, um, is, I should say, a reporter for NPR. She did a story. We had a five-minute story on all things considered about this. But the thing that is so important for, for us um, and for the New Jersey Symphony Orchestra is here was a chance for our audience to sit side by side with us and experience the art through participation. And what could be more relevant than putting a bow on a string yourself and playing along with one of our great oh violinists. Oh my gosh, I bet there were some uh, happy smiles on, on those faces. It was one of the most joyous nights of the, that I can remember. And, uh, and you know, but we've been doing such a variety of, variety of these things. We did a Beatles tribute concert on the 50th anniversary of their appearance on the Ed Sullivan Show. So we decided to have a Beatles sing-along beforehand several hundred people came <laughs> singing full voice. So through all of these various things, we hope to answer the question of what, what is the role of the orchestra in the 21st century? And we're trying to answer it in a way that involves people really interacting with the organization itself. We don't want to give another reason for people to stay home in front of a backlit screen, streaming some content on, <laughs> on the internet. Uh, we want people to be involved, put their hands on the art, and, and to really make it part of their lives. There is a difference between a live concert and being home and listening to a CD. You know, yes, there is. And uh, one, one of the things that uh, people in the audience probably don't think about or realize is that when we're on stage, we can see the people in the audience. We can see their faces. And I remember one concert last year. We were playing Beethoven Fifth Symphony, uh, which, of course, is so dark and stormy, and there's so much uh, conflict in this very exciting work until the last movement, when it goes from the foreboding C minor to the glorious C major. And um, I was we were playing this concert, and I looked out, and there was a woman in the front row, a young woman. She was there uh, with her daughter. And when the, the glorious beginning of the, of the fourth movement began, she looked up, tilted her head back with closed eyes, and tears started running down her face. And I thought, here is the magic of a live performance. It's a connection between human beings wrapped around an incredible work of art. And you can only have that experience live. You can only have that experience if you sat together, orchestra-facing audience, audience-facing orchestra for three movements, and then at that moment, the magic happens. That is what the magic of our art form can do. Uh, I couldn't agree more. But now, I was thinking the other day about um, the fact that classical music can be a little intimidating mm -hmm. to someone who didn't grow up knowing it. And I'm thinking of all these lovely venues where you perform in Red Bank and Morristown and Princeton and at the NJ Pack. If someone was uh, sort of thinking about coming to the concert, do you think they need to prepare a lot? What, do you th what would you say to someone who's like sort of tempted but feels intimidated? 
well, I hope they feel tempted. And, uh, <laughs> you know, Oscar Wilde said that, um, uh, what did he say about temptation? Oh, <laughs> it's the only thing he couldn't resist. It's the only thing he couldn't resist. <laughs> That's exactly right. Um, you know, Eric, there was nothing in my background growing up that would have brought me to classical music. I came from, um, you know, I grew up in a very small town. There were no musicians in my family. But I heard classical music on, uh, on NPR. And something reached in and grabbed me, and it pulled me all the way to where, where I am today. And I think... And, and therein lies lies a key. So if someone is feeling tempted, first of all, I recommend that they uh, give in to the temptation to attend the concert. But if you think about it, most of the music that we hear on the radio today as we flip through the, di through the dials has, has lyrics, has a very specific meaning. We don't hear so much music without words these days. And when we do, when do we hear it? We hear it as a score for a television or for a movie where there's a very specific meaning that's attached to the musical sounds. So the thing that's so wonderful about a classical music concert is that the meaning of the music is really something that you experience yourself. So if someone is going to give in to the temptation, come to a concert, they should come open and ready for the experience that they're going to have, which will be very personal, but they're going to share it with all these other people. And uh, there's nothing quite like that. Let's say you are this, this uh, phantom person who's tempted to come to the symphony, but is a little bit intimidated. What concert might you suggest? What oh, about the Carmina Burana? Well, I was going to say, we're opening next season with a blockbuster program. Uh, Carmina Burana by Carl Orff is a uh, work for chorus, orchestra, and soloists, and it has some of the most famous uh, music uh, in the symphonic repertoire. If someone has never been to uh, the symphony before, they will hear this and they'll instantly recognize it. And that's always fun. Like, I've heard that before. It's a great feeling. And uh, next season, we're, we are really focusing on some of the best-known pieces in the repertoire. For instance, we're closing next season with an all-Beethoven concert uh, that has the Fifth Symphony and the Fifth Piano Concerto. We call it two-fifths of Beethoven, but uh, uh, we're sure that tickets will be hard to come by for that concert as well. Jim, thank you. It sounds like there's a lot of exciting stuff ahead, and uh, good luck on leading this organization into the future. <laughs> Thanks, Eric. It's great to see you again. For more information about the New Jersey Symphony Orchestra, visit njsymphony.org. For more information about the arts in New Jersey, visit jerseyarts.com. The Jersey Arts Podcast is made possible with support from the New Jersey State Council on the Arts, supporting excellence and public engagement in the arts since 1966. For the Jersey Arts Podcast, this is Eric Schultz.